Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 50. I begin with the question, what does it mean to be great? What does it mean to be great? How should greatness be defined? You know, the most common or default understanding of greatness is expressed like this. Greatness is a state of superiority affecting a person or an object. Greatness can be attributed to individuals also who possess a natural ability to be better than all others. Superiority, better than all others. One dictionary put it like this, greatness is the quality of being great. (laughs) I hate it when they do that kind of thing. You can't define a word with the word. That's ridiculous. Right, Lance? You can't do that. No, he's learning that already. So, but nonetheless, it's there. The quality of being great, distinguished, or eminent. Well, we're not trying to, uh, well, we already, we're trying to define great. So let's move to distinguish and eminent. Distinguished means successful, authoritative, and commanding respect. Okay, so if you're distinguished, that's what you're all about. Eminent has to do with fame or being recognized as superior within a particular sphere or profession. So, those are the official uh, things that come out of the dictionaries and such. Here's my definition. The common understanding of greatness is that greatness is achieved when you find yourself at the top of the ladder, and I don't mean a literal ladder, but the top of the ladder of money or education or work or skill or what have you. Greatness is achieved when you find yourself being at the top of the ladder with others below looking up longingly to have what you've achieved. That's what we think of honestly when we think of greatness. People who are up there And we're down here, and we're looking up, and we admire what they're all about, and really secretly in our hearts, we want to be at the top of the ladder as well. And whether we want to admit it or not, I do believe that all of us struggle with this desire of greatness as defined thus far this morning. Now, the question that I want to ask now is this, would Jesus... Would Jesus agree with this common understanding of greatness? Would he say, yep, that's exactly what it should be, and that's exactly what you should pursue, or does he have a completely other definition? As we come to Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 50, uh, we begin to discover that Jesus defines greatness, and his definition of greatness is quite different than the ones that we have espoused so far this morning. Just to put this in context for you very quickly, I want you to remember that uh, previous to what you see in the passage here today, or will see in the passage, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And they had this glorious experience. While they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the other nine were down in the valley, still trying to do ministry. And some father came along and tried to get them to cast a demon out of his son because this demon had been possessing this this child for a long, long time and caused all kinds of difficulty. And they couldn't get it done. And so when Jesus and 
Peter, James, and John came off the mountain. Uh, they, they approached him, and you remember that from a few weeks ago as we preached through those uh, passages. Well, now, region, and they've gone back to a place where they are going to hang out for a while, and that's where the things that we're about to read about take place. So let's look at verse 46 of Luke chapter 9, and we find this, that an argument arose among them. Among whom? Among the disciples or the apostles. I'll use those two words interchangeably as it relates to the twelve. So an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. You know, as we've been journeying, journeying through the gospel of Luke, we've discovered that many of the accounts that he gives of the life and ministry of Jesus are also included in the gospels of Matthew and Mark. And we've also discovered that more times than not, Matthew and Mark add some details to the account that Luke chose not to include. In this particular case this morning, we find from the gospel of Mark that he tells us that in this particular uh, situation, they had arrived back in the city of Capernaum. And remember that Capernaum is the place that Jesus had chosen as the home base for his ministry. So he's been in and around Capernaum quite a bit. This is familiar territory to them. Mark also tells us that while they're there in Capernaum, they're uh, at someone's house. It doesn't say whose house it is. We don't know. What we do know is this, is that Peter had a house near Capernaum. So they very well might have been at Peter's house. But again, we don't know that for sure. What we do know by looking ahead in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus now, at this juncture, is at the close of his Galilean ministry. And he is preparing to set his face toward Jerusalem. And as he begins to travel to Jerusalem, he kind of doesn't go directly, kind of makes a meandering kind of a, a pathway there. But as he does, this will be his last trip to Jerusalem. We know also that in the months to come, as he's traveling from Capernaum to Jerusalem, that he's going to ramp up the intensity of his discipleship of the twelve, because there was a lot they needed to learn before Jesus leaves them to carry on. And so the lesson that we see coming out of this situation today is one that will be foundational in their development Returning to the text that we just read, it seems that the disciples had become full of self-centered pride. A self-centered pride that, that needed transformation to Christ-centered humility. I wonder if there's any of us in the room this morning that have ever found ourselves in that condition. Any of us who've ever found ourselves with self-centered pride. Don't raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to confess today. It wouldn't do you any good even if you did, right? But if we find ourselves in that prideful position, always understand this, that that's not acceptable. And what we need to be doing is allowing the Spirit of God and the Word of God to transform our hearts so that we become more uh, like Christ and we are 
in him and humble. As we think about humility and pride, I want to ask you this. Has anyone ever asked you a question and you knew when the question was being asked that something was up because the question that was being asked was not complimentary towards you and you knew if you answered the question that the response would put you in a bad light. Anybody ever been there? Well, that's the position of the apostles on this particular day. After arriving at the house in Capernaum, mentioned in Mark, Jesus inquired about a discussion. He asked them about a discussion that they were having as they were traveling to Capernaum. Mark says that when he asked the question, all he heard was crickets. Now, he doesn't actually say it that way, but there was silence. They didn't respond. They didn't say a single word to his question. And the reason is because as they heard that and they were reminded of what was going on, they realized that the discussion, as Jesus put it, was more of an argument. And the argument was over greatness. Specifically, who among them was the greatest? And Jesus is wanting them to fess up and talk about this, but they're really not too terribly excited at the moment to reveal what it is they were arguing about. If we look over in the Gospel of Matthew, we find that Matthew says that, uh, that he came to the disciples, and, or that they came, the disciples came to him asking, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So we have a situation where we have Jesus asking, what were you arguing about? And it's all about that greatness issue. And we have another situation in which uh, we find the apostles coming to Jesus asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so we ask the question, well, which is it? Did Jesus ask the question or did the disciples come asking? And the answer really is both. Because I believe that what was going on here is that as they were in the house and Jesus inquired about this discussion they were having, of course, they didn't respond for a time because they knew it would throw themselves under the bus. But eventually, they wanted to find out from the master about this issue of greatness. And so they eventually, without giving a direct answer or admitting any guilt, worked up enough courage to approach Jesus and to put their argument into question form. And when we see their question, uh, it is a question of superiority, of eminence, of success. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Mark tells us that Jesus' first response was direct and clear, although it is doubtful that it was satisfying to them. Jesus said this, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Think about that for a moment. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus? Well, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and he must be servant of all. This situation reminds me of situations I find myself in oftentimes when I'm around people who do not know that I'm a pastor. And when they discover that I'm a pastor, they usually think to themselves, oh, I've been meaning to ask some religious questions. And they'll want to pose a couple of questions. And I find that as I try to answer the question, especially from a biblical point of view, more times than not, when they start getting the answer, they regret even asking the question. And I think that's really where this thing's at. And that brings us then to truth point number one that speaks into this. And I want you to take note of this, that the fleshly desire for greatness 
The fleshly desire for greatness requires that we put self first because the only way you're going to rise to the top is if your focus is on yourself, developing your skill, developing your knowledge, whatever the case may be. It requires a self-first position. But greatness in the kingdom of God requires something quite opposite. It requires that we put self last. And why do we need to put self last? Well, because we would need, if we're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven, to help others reach their God-given potential. I want you to think of it like this. Greatness is not found in the person who rises to the top to become the world's premier surgeon. That's not where greatness is. Greatness is in those who sacrifice to give that person the ability to become who and what they are. We tend to look at the surgeon and say, wow, have you seen the things that he or she has been able to develop, the new techniques and the many lives that this person has saved? Wow, that person, Dr. So-and-so, is really great. But in reality, the way God looks at it, the people that are really great are the ones who sacrifice so that Dr. So-and-so could become who and what he or she is. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.